0: Welcome listeners to the Alabaster Jar Podcast. My name is Kelly DiPolito and I'm the director for the Center for Women in Leadership at Northern Seminary. Today we have the honor of having as our guest Andrea Coley with Lead Bold, a ministry who has been doing conferences in the Bay Area but who is about to embark this week on their first conference in the Midwest. And Chicago gets the honor of being the host city for the next conference. Andrea, tell me a little bit about Lead Bold and where I can sign up.
1: Hey Kelly, hello all Alabaster Jar listeners. Yes, it is not too late to sign up. In fact, we are kicking off our Chicagoland conference tomorrow with Northern Seminary in partnership with our pre-conference, our main conference happening then on Thursday and Friday. You can find all this information as well as ticket information on our website, www.leadingbold.org. We would love to see you there. There is still room for you. And I trust that God has something for you when you join us.
2: Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. This week's episode is hosted by Dr. Lynn Coeck and Kelly DiPolito. They are joined by Andrea Coley. Andrea received her M.A. from Fuller Theological Seminary. She has been in ministry for over 25 years and currently serves as the teaching pastor at Crosswinds Church in California's Bay Area. Andrea is passionate about affirming and activating female ministry leaders, and she serves as the executive director of Lead Bold, a space where women in ministry are emboldened to be the leader God invites them to be. She is author of Scriptless, What I Learned About God on the Las Vegas Strip, where she connects her experience performing in the cast of an improv comedy troupe with learning what it means to follow God.
3: Hi, Andrea. Thanks so much for joining us on The Alabaster Jar.
1: So happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to our talk today.
2: Andrea, when I heard that you were joining us, I was excited because I think you are the first Nevadan that we've had on this podcast. I lived in Reno for six years and you're coming or you lived in the Vegas area for a while, right? (laughs)
1: Yes, yes, I did. We uh, we were there for about four years, and I never intended to move to Las Vegas. But you know, when God calls you, you just gotta go. And uh, we now live in the uh, California Bay Area, which uh, I I do like that. But I did, I did, I do have some amazing memories from Vegas. Yeah,
2: it's awesome.
3: That's so fun. Well, I've actually flew in and out of Reno once in the recent past and have never been to Vegas. So that has to be, I guess, on my bucket list. We're also joined, uh, we're joined as well on this podcast. um, We're joined, uh, Kelly DiPolito is joining us. I'll say it that way. Kelly DiPolito is joining us. She is the director for the Center for Women in Leadership here at Northern. And also is a student uh, in the Doctor of Ministry program, New Testament context, and so super happy to have you, Kelly.
0: Oh, it is a delight to be here and to have a conversation with um, Andrea here. Um, I've been working in ministry with her for the past month, and it has been a delightful experience, so I'm glad that she gets to um, be introduced to your listeners.
3: Yeah. Now, have you been to what is it? Nevada instead of Nevada. I got to say it right here. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but have you been to either of those places? <laughs> I
0: have been to Vegas. Yes. And just to stay, just to be at the Fountain of Bellagio is a
3: reason to go. Well, clearly I'm, I'm really, I'm missing out. So now I feel kind of like I got to, I got to make, make a trek to Vegas,
2: a New Testament scholar girls trip to Vegas. That sounds like <laughs> the kind of trip I want to be on.
3: <laughs> and we are not going to pursue that uh, on this podcast right now. That feels like you know that what comes to mind is the phrase "What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas." <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I was a farm girl, you know, raised in South Central Pennsylvania, so Vegas seemed far, far away. But it is pertinent for what we're going to talk about, Andrea, because you've got really a typical CV. You did improv for a couple of years, and you got your MA in theology, and you've worked on church staff, right? So that's that's kind of a, a yeah. normal pathway. Yeah.
1: Very typical, typical stream of events for a woman in ministry. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you have a great book called Script scriptless so one word scriptless and in that book you bring together the your improv experience and then your life in the church as well as filling it out with the deep theology that that you gained in your um in your education there and getting your MA. I'd love to just walk through the book that helps us really uh, develop what is your passion which is faithfulness uh, in Christ so, as we start up, could you just tell us what improv is? I I confess that I thought I knew what it was, but it's actually a really complex thing. So could you tell us a little bit about what improv is?
1: Yes. Well, in its most simplest form, it's making stuff up.
3: Uh, and it's so more teaching. Form. Okay, I got it then. Yeah, I you know me. what? Yeah, I That's it.
1: One of the things they say about improvisation is that it certainly happens on the stage, but it happens in all of our lives. You know, we're we're always improvising, problem-solving on the fly, all of that. But with when it is a um, a performance craft of improvisation, what you're doing is you are creating scenes and contexts that you did not plan, you didn't memorize lines um and typically you're incorporating um an on-the-spot suggestion from your audience and so it's a really unique craft that uh is hard but is also easier than you think i i would say one thing that is very true of improv as well is that it's very ensemble based Sometimes when I go to speak somewhere, they introduce me as a comedian and I'm like, so clarify, I, I didn't do stand-up. That's like you're on your own. It's all you. But improv is ensemble. So um, it's just such a beautiful model of working together in the riskiest, most unplanned setting with pretty high stakes because you're performing um.
3: And well, it doesn't sound fun. fun, though, at, at one level. Sorry to interrupt, but it just sort of, I'm so glad you said it's risky and it's, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's like, how many mistakes can I make publicly in a half hour's time? You know, that's sort of <laughs> would have been my definition of improv, so.
1: Right. Well, there are a lot of mistakes, but here's the difference is the, the mistakes don't really matter. The mistakes are received. They're not judged. Uh, you move on. You don't dwell on them. And ultimately... Again, there's so many spiritual analogies. Ultimately, the, you and the rest of your ensemble turn those mistakes into good things. So yeah. it's, it's, it is risky, but there's so much trust and safety in it as well.
3: Well, and that's what you develop, I think, so well in this book. Um, and so I've got a couple of questions for you from, from the book. You talk about, in one of your chapters, you talk about the power of yes and how in improv you can't say no. And can you just uh, uh, fill out for us what what you mean by that, that you can't say no and um, in in the chapter also you tie that in with how it might affect our relationship with God. So if you could kind of talk about both those things.
1: There are guidelines, I guess, tenets of improvisation that you learn when you're learning it. And one of the big, big ones is yes. Everything is yes. You can't deny. You can't say no. Um, And so everything you do is kind of with that in mind. And what that means is that you're receiving from your teammates everything that they give you. You don't get the chance to evaluate whether you like it or not or whether you think it's a good idea all you're saying in your mind is like yes 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 so if um if lynn you and i go into a scene together and i start talking to you um like we're both zombies on halloween night then yes that is what we are and so you say yes to that and you build into that same scene and and of course if you denied it and if i started talking to you like we're both zombies and you said what are you talking about we're just at target right now Blah blah blah. That doesn't help the scene, right? And that's you denying it, and it's you saying my idea is better than this gift that you're giving me of your idea. So, for you know, we I, I I guess I hear a lot too in in the world of faith this idea of yes, saying yes to God, and certainly there's also conversation about saying a wise no, not to God, but to the people who are you know kind of demanding things from us. But when it comes to Our mindset with what God asks us to do, I think every leader, every person who is trying to pursue living into the life God's inviting them to must have that foundation of yes, even when they think they have a better idea, they don't understand, it doesn't make sense. Um, It's such a good and healthy starting place. And so that is how it is in improv. And I think most of us, I hope, would strive for it to be that way in our faith as well.
3: Right. And uh, yeah, I agree so much. There's a sense of um, freedom in a way in saying yes to God, um, but that there's a, there's a scariness to it also kind of stepping out and you, you don't necessarily see the ground under your feet. You, you mention a moment that I think is kind of like that, uh, stepping out. Um, you were at Yosemite National Park and you were facing uh, a big decision and this idea of the power of yes uh, got lived out in a real way in your life. Can you share that story with us a bit?
1: For sure. Yes, I say yes to that. Uh, Thank we, you. No. I'm I'm <laughs> that <you're> yeah. <laughs> See there? Yeah, you see, you're doing it. Um, yeah, we were in a middle of a real big family decision um, related to mis- ministry and where we were going to be serving, and. Like many of us, I felt this real pressure of what is the right thing to do? What does God want me to do? What is the exact right path? And it happened that we had this trip planned. And at one point we pulled over, as one does, to look at the view. And I just was, I kind of stepped away from my family a little bit. And I was just struck with this sense of God in his bigness, in his constancy you know, creating what I was looking at and knowing that it was so much bigger than this decision. And I just had this strong sense that if I believe that God and I are co-creating my story, and if I believe that God is truly in relationship with me, it means that we're doing this together. And I had um, just this word that, that settled in my heart that was, almost God saying, and I'm probably going to have to apologize for making this too casual, but almost God saying, I don't really care which one you do, just whichever one you do, we're in it together. Keep following me. Keep obeying me. Keep saying yes. And it just, like you said, Lynn, it brought this freedom. Like, oh, I can say yes and then see what else God has for me and then say yes to that and not get so so consumed with my questions that I paralyze myself and end up you know, not doing anything. Oh,
3: exactly. Yeah. And, and in another chapter, you talk, you, you pick that up, that idea of question. And you say, in improv, you don't ask questions. Um, and, you know, I kind of thought, well, as a teacher, I rely on people asking questions, right? And I ask all kinds of sure. questions. I'm, I'm annoying that way. Um, but I think what you are zeroing in on is so critical. There's certain types of questions that slow down a relationship. Either they slow down the improv or they slow down our time with God. And I loved your uh, paraphrase, I will put that in scare quotes, your paraphrase of Moses's exchange with God there in the desert <laughs> as, as he's getting, uh, as Moses is getting his call to go back to Egypt. But talk to us a little bit, you can share with us about that um, uh, paraphrase, which was awesome, but also just more uh, more broadly why shouldn't we ask questions
1: well i do appreciate as um as a teacher as a professor of course you want good good questions the why questions the understanding questions all of that the curious questions um so you're right when you say it's a it's a certain type of question that i think we sometimes ask in our faith and in our decision-making that really are almost like stalling questions where and in embedded in those questions is a no um so i'm saying like well what exactly is going to happen and how is this going to happen and i i want to know the plan and so that i can feel a sense of control and the reason i say that embedded in that is a no is because it's it's a limit that says i'm not going to move forward with a yes until i have all my questions answered and i can rely on myself because i now have the the knowledge as opposed to that faithful trust in a god who says well i'm going to give you about a quarter inch of the path ahead and then we're going to walk it and then i'm going to give you another quarter inch and then we're going to walk it um with moses i you know i love to um I don't know I like to get into the minds of biblical characters and just try to put them like how I would do it or or you know what was maybe they were thinking back then even though I'm who am I to put myself in the mind of an ancient person but um yeah just this sense of of God being like okay I'm he's revealing himself it's this big thing here's what we're gonna do and Moses is like but what about this what about this what about this you know and so and God's just like just go just go do it <laughs> um so, uh, you know, and we can relate to that, of course. And I I think we've got to laugh too because it allows us to laugh at ourselves and our, um, you know, a little bit of this sense of like, who do we think we are that we demand God fill in all of our blanks before we will obey him.
3: Oh, so true, so true. And as we're coming into um, the Christmas season, I think of the beginning of Luke and there are also... Uh, some questions that are asked there by John the Baptist's father. And, you know, how, how can this, how can this be that my wife, uh, and I are going to have a child? She's old, which is, you know, one of the reasons I think that the, um, the man was silenced, um, that that was punishment for mentioning in public the age of his wife. Um, and that should just be a lesson for all but also just that, how is, how is this going to happen? I, I love how you're saying it's almost like the stalling part. It's almost like the, I am not really able to believe this. So I want to know more. And then you contrast that with Mary's response, which, okay, may it be her question is, is not one of challenging the faith, but, uh, or doubting, but more of, so if we're walking this way. Uh, it, is there anything particular I need to do because in you know eighth grade health, I learned that I can't get pregnant from a toilet seat so you know just I, I want to walk but the, but the posture is different, right The one Mary yes. is stepping out and Zachariah is uh, stiffening. Yes and, you know and that I, I just love that about the the distinction you made about questions and tying that into improv because you're not in relationship if you're saying no, right.
1: Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's, it's not a hard, fast rule. Don't ever ask questions, but it is, it's that posture. It's that, what is the heart behind it? Like, what am I trying to gain for myself? Whether that's, like I said, control, clarity, um, you know, defensiveness, you know, whatever, instead of really just trying to seek and maybe have clarity on what is God asking me to do? Like, like we see Mary do.
3: You know, when you, you, uh, we've talked about how in improv, you know, you've got these characters that are talking back and forth. I never realized that there's another, there's another group in improv. You call them the back line players. And can you tell us a little bit about their role in doing improv and how that might matter for us as women doing our basic, you know, life?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, there are. So the show that I was a part of with The Second City had, it was what was called short form. And so that was kind of game after game after game, kind of like on whose line is it anyway. It was the same kind of model. So we played a bunch of different types of scenes. But one of them was where everybody stood on the the back in a line. And when somebody was ready with a suggestion... Then whoever wanted to be in that scene would step forward, you know, step downstage and do the scene. And then everybody on the back line would be paying attention, watching, engaging, so that they either could jump in at some point into that scene or would be ready for the next scene. And so even though the focus was on the people in the actual scene, the people on the back line were highly involved and really just at the ready. And the parallel that I draw there is just this sense of us being engaged in the potential. So often, especially as women, I know we talk about comparison and how easy it is to be distracted by someone else's, what they're doing or how well they're doing it or how they're doing it better than we are. And, um, you know, what would it be for us to recognize that while we may not be where we want to be down in center stage that we are still active in it we are still learning and can be engaged in everything around us so that when god invites us we're ready to step into that quote unquote scene or you know answering answering a yes for what god's calling us to so i just loved that the backline players weren't just sitting there waiting for their turn they were ready and often they did jump in and improv because anything can happen you know if somebody suddenly mentions their grandmother um you know but whatever then you could jump off the back line and be the grandmother who just showed up you know and that was what was so beautiful it was never it was it was never set in stone it was always evolving and there was always potential and so when you were on the back line you had to be watching and ready to jump into that. So I think for sure as women, um, and, and men too, I would say that we, you know, when we categorize ourselves as not being on center stage right now, because we're comparing to other people, uh, what would it be for us to look differently at where we are and, and what God might do in the midst of that?
3: Well, and you went through this yourself in a personal way, didn't you, when your uh, kids were younger? And kind of in a mindset of, well, I'm just waiting, sort of circling the airport, nothing happening here. Um, can you talk a little bit about that time and, and how, how you kind of lived into what you were just saying?
1: My ministry journey was very roundabout and I blame my husband because he is a pastor and I always say my ministry career really got sidelined because, not sidelined, but got. I always Uh say you ruined Uh my ministry career. He's he's my biggest advocate and, and I wouldn't be where I am as a leader without him. But simply because we were married and he would get hired at the church and I wouldn't And then we would go there, and then I would have to figure out, okay, what's my place? Where do I serve? Where do I lead? And by the way, I'm going to work this other full-time regular job while I do all these things, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and then throw kids into that, throw a couple of across-the-country moves, all of that, that while I was called and went to seminary early early. It took a really long time for me to feel like that could be where I could put so much of my focus. And it just, it does feel like waiting. And at the same time, and I think so many of us who are, you know, kind of have been doing this for a while, of course, we look back to when we were, quote unquote, on the back line and we realize, of course, God used that for how I serve now. Of course, He built into me to make me the unique leader and ministry person that I am now. You know, I see, obviously we see that with the improv. Like what was I doing performing in a Vegas improv show for four years? Well, I did learn so much about my faith and leadership in that. So, um, so, so yeah, I, I would just encourage anybody who is just feeling like their season is marked by that word waiting that none of us like that it doesn't go to waste and that there also are seasons where yes we are waiting but it doesn't mean we still can't say yes to something that's in the moment that we can be a part of even though we're also waiting
3: and waiting attentively i think that's what and and looking at what god is doing around and and instead of maybe even thinking of the word waiting i wonder if it's like preparation you know you think a boarding event or like running a 10k or even a marathon uh, most people don't just roll out of bed the morning of the marathon and decide I'm going to run. Um, they they've done a lot of preparation, and that uh, I, what I have appreciated so much about you opening up improv and how that um, can help us understand who we are. Improv is so much about relationship, right? Uh, they bring that out time and again, and the Christian life is relationship, you know, and and so it it really. I, that's one of the gems of the book. I think is taking something I would think as fairly unlikely. I'm going to learn about God through improv, and revealing how, in fact, it really does. One of the threads I would say uh, that I picked up through the book is embracing risk and being courageous, which is uh, not some uh, not something or a mindset that women. As a whole are encouraged to embrace compared to men, but improv for you helped you be courageous with God. Can you talk a little bit about, about that movement in your life, how that developed?
1: Having to uh, perform on a Vegas stage uh, is definitely risky, and I didn't take that for granted. Um, but certainly, it doesn't compare to the kinds of risks that that we take as people, you know, as women. Um, I think sometimes we're risk averse as women, in particular, because we've worked so hard to find our place at the table, and sometimes feel that we have to prove we have to prove ourselves. We can't mess up um and you know all the layers are there for if you're a woman that's there if you are a woman who is a woman of color it's there at a whole additional level if you are a woman a woman of color and young there's a whole other layer of all these things that are just feel like they're in our way and we feel like if we mess up not only if we mess up but if we are not so good that somehow we're hurting the women that are coming after us and we're hurting our own opportunity And that can be really paralyzing. And in a weird catch-22, getting in our head that way makes it more likely that we're not going to do our best, right? So the thing about improvisation is that you also perform better when you're you're loose, right? So again, not kind of having all that judgment of yourself and all that pressure you put on yourself. Where I found this is that my very, very last show – Uh, right before we moved here up to the Bay Area might have been my very best show because I was just having fun. Like I didn't really care. Like I was, I was going out and I just had such a fun time and that freed me up to do really, really well. And it's just, it's this funny anomaly where, you know, the more we get in our heads about not doing well, the less well we're going to probably do. So as as women, I think that the courage comes in in, you know, trusting that God has equipped you, that he has been preparing you, that you are called to this. And also, yeah, you're going to make mistakes and it's going to be okay. Like the world's not going to end. And, um, you know, just kind of holding that tension is something that I think we all just out of necessity have to do. But the more we can be aware of, trying to hold it loose i think will will be a win for us personally and just as we as we become advocates for other women and carve that path for them that follow
3: and yes and you mentioned that being advocates for other women so critical your um you have this phrase in the book quote don't give each other notes end quote and that's that really spoke to me as a really important uh, life lesson, actually. Can you tell us a little bit about what that phrase means or that, uh, yeah, that injunction means and why it really matters so much?
1: In the theater world, there's kind of this hierarchy of who is allowed to give each other feedback and notes, right? So in our world, we as, as equal improv players could not give each other notes or corrections it only could come from the director and as I think about that in life you know I I, and I I need to learn this lesson better it's good that we're talking about it so I can keep bring that back to the forefront for myself but you know I got a lot of opinions about how you should do something and how it should be done and you know and um I think in particular in our world right now that is so so divided and divisive and people are so easily offended um sometimes in all the wrong ways we are so quick to criticize other people and tell them how they're doing it wrong and i just think there's there's not there shouldn't be a lot of room for that um and and when it comes to our faith um you know, I grew up in a pretty particular tradition. I did not grow up in a family of faith, but I grew up at, in a Christian school and I simply wasn't exposed to other other Christian traditions or other religious traditions. And so I found myself very judgmental about, um, well, if you don't do church like this, then you're probably doing it wrong. Or if you don't have this theology about God, then you're not right. Um, So I just think there's this humility that we need to step into that leaves room for people to express their faith differently than we do and to lead differently than we do. And so that idea of not giving notes kind of translates that way for me.
0: You mentioned earlier that you went to seminary and that was early in your ministry career. Um, often women ask, like, why would I need an advanced degree? Why should I do this? Is it a good time for me to do it? Right. So can you tell me some of your journey to seminary?
1: Full disclosure, I think I went to seminary because I wasn't sure what else to do. I felt I felt called to ministry, and I was in the middle of a biology degree, which I finished, uh, but I knew 100% that God was calling me to lead in the church, and I thought, well, I guess I better go get equipped to do that. The only religious class I took in college was Hindu, and that didn't probably... <laughs> help much. So <laughs> I uh, I thought, hey, let's do this. I, it just so happened I was in, I'm from Southern California. I was right down the road from Fuller and I was already serving at a church that was still within that area. So I thought, great, this this will be great. Um, and so I'm glad that I did that. And it did equip me. I think in some ways, it. I, I think for me, having that degree did a couple of things besides just sort of giving me time to again be able to know how to say yes to what god was this new thing god was doing in me um i think it gave me like two things that i as i think about them they're a little bit opposite from one another on the one hand i think it gave me um a little bit of confidence and credibility um again getting back to what we were just saying about women in particular i think we come to the table and we feel like and we kind of do have to prove ourselves a little bit. So to know that um, I've I've done that work, I've engaged in that work, like it does help me feel like a few, I'm a couple steps down the road of not having to prove to someone that I'm qualified to do whatever, right? But then on the flip side, I think it also helps – I think a seminary education helps people stay humble because as they say, the more you learn, the more you know, you don't know. Right. So I feel like, I feel like, you know, there is so much more to learn and to know. And so while yes, I have the degree, it, it also reminds me that my knowledge and my awareness is so small and it invites me, I think, into continuing to learn and continuing to be engaged in in these things um, and recognizing that I certainly in no way have, quote unquote, arrived, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, it does make sense. That's a really good point. Um it's an amazing thing when you go into seminary and you really wrestle with the theological truths and you try to put language around things like the Trinity, and you you do realize you, you do gain some humility when you are yes. dealing with things like that and trying to put into language who God is and how we talk about him and communicate it. It's just an amazing thing. So thank you for talking about your seminary journey. But part of that has led you to where you are today with your ministry, Lead Bold, which I love the title of it. It kind of summarizes the life you describe in Scriptless. So um, kind of describe to me what Lead Bold is and what are your hopes to do with Lead Bold?
1: Well, Lead Bold is, um, a, we're a group of leaders, we're a community, um, we're committed to equipping and empowering women in ministry to say that next yes, to reach their potential, to move toward their potential in leadership. And we're a pretty young organization, actually, where we've done uh, four conferences uh, so far, and we've done some cohorts, and we've done another, uh, other things where we're really just trying to build into Women who are leading in ministry, whether that's in the church, um, in a different missional organization, in academia, um, and the 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 heart behind it really is that I found as a pastor, and as I talked with a couple of other pastors as well who are women, that this space didn't really exist. This space that was just for us because even though we can all have very different backgrounds and ministry journeys we do have certain things in common simply because we are women called to ministry um it's part of why i love so much what you guys are doing at the center for women and leadership is this just laser focus on how can we really pay attention to this whole segment of people who are actively called to ministry and yet don't always have the support or resources um and, and that's a big task, obviously, and we know at Lead Bold we're not answering all of it, but we're committed to making space for women who are the ones pouring out all the time to have a place where they get poured into, where they can connect with each other. Again, getting back to that table analogy, you might be at the table, but maybe you're the only woman at the table. And we know from from all the articles that we've read that it, it impacts the dynamic when you're the only woman at the table and it impacts and hinders what you'll say because you're the only woman at the table, even in the most safe, accepting environment. Um, all that to say, sometimes because you're busy too, you don't have time to look up and make other friends and go, you know, go find, where are my people? So this is a place where you can find your people and we just really try to, curate that experience so that you can be poured into and that you can connect with other women. And of course, I'm particularly excited about doing that over in Chicagoland here real soon.
3: Yes. In fact, um, when this podcast airs the following day, I will meet you in person um, at the uh, Chicago version of Lead Bold, where we're also having Northern Seminary myself and and my colleague Ingrid Farrow, a professor of Old Testament, will be doing a workshop um, to help women imagine themselves uh, at seminary. It's so exciting.
1: I couldn't be happier about the the fact that you're coming. And yes, I'm so excited to meet you in real life. Uh, But uh, to uh, to have that really accessible experience for women to see what it's like and then for them to decide on their own, like what would that education look like for me? Kelly, I know that your journey to and through seminary looked a lot different than mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just I I love the fact that we're creating this this platform where women can engage in the learning, which is amazing and valuable and also, can be exploring what would that look like for me to, to pursue a degree or, to, or simply to continue learning in a more. Andrea, I love the way.
0: way you encourage women both to be in ministry, but also to really um, bring forward all of their gifts. And it's it's a really special thing the space that you're creating and that the Center for Women in Leadership is creating to um, encourage those to encourage each other for us to be our friends in ministry so that we're at the table that we're not lonely.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that we can that we can cheerlead each other and celebrate each other's victories instead of you know being jealous or wishing that it was us on that main stage like we talked about and saying there is room and we all have our different things that we bring. And so I'm so eager and thankful to be, you know, in partnership with what you guys are doing and anything we can do to empower women to say that next yes makes me excited for the kingdom.
3: Well, this has been a very exciting conversation from my standpoint. Thank you, Andrea, for joining us on the Alabaster Jar. A shout out to Lead Bold as an organization and encourage our listeners to sign up I know Serene will be able to post stuff as she does on the website, the show notes, all that stuff, but it's lead bold. And, uh, people can look that up as well. And, and I would encourage people to read your book Scriptless. It's one word, but I, I've trouble. I don't want to say it too fast. So the people miss what I'm saying. It's a fabulous read. That's a real, uh, encouragement and, uh, a way to grow in, in your walk with the Lord. It was very uh, freeing and inspiring to me. So I'm so glad you wrote it, uh, Andrea. And thank you so much for joining us here on the Alabaster Jar.
1: Thank you so much for having me. What a great and fun conversation.
0: Wonderful to be here too. Thank you, Lynn, for including me. And Serene and Lynn, I'm really looking forward to listening to um, the follow-up podcast to this one called Dr. Lynn Kohig Goes to Vegas. <laughs> Yes. yes. Thank you.
2: <laughs> if you enjoyed our conversation with Andrea Coley, check the episode description for links to register for the Lead Bold Conference and to purchase a copy of Scriptless: What I Learned About God on the Las Vegas Strip. We release new episodes weekly, so join us here again next Tuesday for another episode of the Alabaster Jar.